there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the 1% Better Podcast with me, Rob O'Donoghue. So in this episode, I have a conversation with Andrew McLaughlin. So Andrew is a program director at the Irish Management Institute for Diplomas in Organisational Behaviour and a Diploma in Executive Coaching. So I met Andrew through the Diploma in Executive Coaching that I am currently doing and found him to be an extremely interesting guy. Uh, He was very good with his time to give that up for the recording. So I appreciate that, Andrew. So he's an experienced executive coach who has worked uh, with national and multinational companies over his career. He's a master practitioner and certified trainer consultant in neuro-linguistic programming or NLP. So we'll get into that during the show if it's a, a new term for you. During our conversation, we journey through Andrew's career. We talk about his passion in developing human potential. Those are his words and and I love them. Um, We talk about his interests in mindfulness, meditation, yoga, exercise, all things that have been very much part of his uh, life, I guess, and more so now than ever uh, important as as he talks about as well. Some of the really cool and interesting 1% better tips that Andrew shares during our conversation focuses on NLP, uh, one technique called anchoring, which he will explain and which hopefully you could use. So he also talks about starting a daily mindfulness practice, which could be of massive benefit to you listening. He goes into detail on how long you should really persist with that to reap the rewards. During the last bit of the conversation, I go into some rapid fire questions that touch on sleep, exercise, activities, All very interesting, and I hope you get a lot out of it. So, without much more preamble from myself, I will hand you over to the conversation between me and Andrew. Enjoy. So, I'm delighted to introduce Andrew McLaughlin here today. He's uh, the Programme Director at the IMI for Executive Coaching and Organisational Behaviour. So, not just one, but two. So, welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Robert. So thanks a million again. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit about your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, would I be right in assuming that when you were growing up in Donegal, just detecting the accent, that uh, an executive coach was not something you thought you might be a few years mm-hmm. down the road? Yeah, no, certainly there was no such thing as executive coaching when I was growing up. And I suppose the nearest thing to an executive coach would, would have been the parish priest. And uh, I think that was... Um, uh, a different type of coaching. That was counselling. That was counselling, I suppose, yeah. Uh, spiritual counselling, yeah. Right. Um, I, I think that thinking about my development, one of the things that has always stood out for me was an incredibly strong interest in human potential. And that might seem extraordinary for a, a young child, but I, I remember one of the things that I was really interested in uh, was... Um, Charles Atlas course, which was a series of isometric exercises, which I know about now. My father had these for some reason, and I kept looking at them and uh, just wondering how those exercises would would develop the the human body. And uh, I started to do some of those exercises at quite a young age, 
And the next thing I remember getting quite interested in yoga, and what is interesting about that is that nobody around me had ever used, even used the word yoga, not alone knew anything about it. Mm. And yet I had quite clearly a very strong interest. I remember trying to figure out how to do a thing called Ujjaya breathing, which is sometimes called Darth Vader breathing. It's a method of breathing in yoga and trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to do this. And, of course, the material available in the local library at that stage was uh, rather limited, to say the least. Mm. Um, uh, I remember, you know, having an interest in nutrition and, and the, the, the impact of food on uh, things like going down to the, the, the sea and picking up things like, um, uh, seaweed and bringing them home and boiling them and it was tasting quite awful but clearly the idea was that eating seaweed might be highly nutritious and the sort of stuff that I was reading about even as a child so I, I think that rather than executive coaching the idea that attracted me very strongly was what the possibilities were if you practiced certain Things like good, good eating or, or, or isometric exercises or um, uh, yoga practice or, or certain mm. types of breathing. So there was no doubt in my mind that, that this was an area where I had a, a, a huge interest. Mm. And um, that then later developed when I went to college. I studied psychology and, and psychology then, of course, was... Um, a way of working with the mind uh, as well as the body and and uh, that became absolutely fascinating for me and through the jigs and the reels I ended up in the in the executive coaching field uh, because it seemed to me that that gave the opportunity to um, I suppose to relay the knowledge and, and to and to and to um, get the response in people to achieve something finer about themselves that they, that they didn't even believe possible. Mm. And I must say, to this day, that would remain a main motivation for my coaching and the absolute wonder and joy of seeing people overcoming issues and, and, and just becoming better versions of themselves. Okay, very interesting. You mentioned you found those books that your father had them. What, what, what mm. Was he interested in that area himself? or Well... That's an excellent question because I'm not really sure. He had a, I say, an uninformed, uh, I don't mean to sound uh, unfair to my father, but uh, he, he didn't have the intense interest that I had in researching things and reading about them. Mm-hmm. But I, I noticed in him that uh, he had uh, yeah, yeah, had an interest in some of these things, although he did not seem to bring them to the same level that I was later uh, he, I think he, he was someone who picked up ideas and maybe got interested in them for a time and then, like a lot of us, yeah. uh, just leave them to one side. But he wasn't a strong influence on my development of this, but I would say that given certain other circumstances in his life that he could well have been uh, a lot more interested in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think it's probably unfair to say that I, I was completely uh, original in, in these things because... My, my dad did, as you correctly point out, did have those, and it, basically they seemed to me because they were they, they weren't even in, in leaflets; they were almost like the Dead Scrolls. They were right. all wrapped up parchments. Or like they were like parchments, and I was and I used to because he said I was I was too young to 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 to, to um, understand these, and 
course, I didn't think I was too young, and uh, maybe around six or seven, I was trying to do these things. Yeah. And uh, and after a while, he, he kind of let 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 me at it, uh, and we did have discussions about them and various methods of, you know, basically a form of exercise, yeah. if you like. Uh, so partially an influence, but not not very. Certainly, I I took the uh, I took the um, the mantle and, and ran with it as fast as I could. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Um, just from what you've mentioned there, you're taking the mantle, running with it, mm. that f- ability to stay focused and continue through that. Where do you think that came from? Is that just something you're? Yeah. Named? Well, sometimes uh, the, 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 the psychiatrist Ivor Brown, whom I saw on uh, uh, Alan Gilson and documentary about him at the Irish Film Theatre at the weekend. He firmly believes in reincarnation that okay. that uh, we come into this life having memories of other, other lives, mm-hmm. and but I don't really subscribe to incarnation or reincarnation. Sometimes I think that the only explanation for some of the areas of interest is is that somewhere in a previous life that I was involved with these things. He thinks he was a. Uh, a frustrated monk of some kind and uh, it's really interesting and and uh, I sometimes wonder how I could have developed although there is another strand that I forgot to mention is my grandfather right. somebody told me that he used to stand on his head which is you know a yoga headstand yeah. something that I do myself quite often uh, and have done all, all my life yeah. but that in in, um, in his day that would have been <laughs> to say the least, uh, an un- unusual <laughs> uh, th- thing to do. And I have no idea because I never heard. I, I-, I just was told that he did this. Right. So there may well be some mm, genetic uh, component to these things. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it was just the fact that um, uh, I was so interested. And I suppose that the, uh, with, with a kind of high level of persistence and curiosity, that I pushed these things to the level of certifying as a, as a yoga teacher myself and doing lengthy um, mindfulness courses in, uh, in different places and um, and continuously trying to develop my own um, potential. Uh, and the real joy then is the ability uh, to pass that on to other people and to see them sharing in that in that growth. Cool. Yeah. So influences your dad was one in these growing up years as you went into psychology, what other influences did you have or whom? Was it in person or was it through deep reading or a bit of both? Yeah, I, I would say that my main influences earlier on were my own re- re- reading and research. Mm. Uh, and to this day, I continuously, avidly read uh, anything to do with um, personal development um, advances in nutrition and science around well-being, any of these areas continue to fascinate me. Mm. Um, there were some people at, at various times who would have appeared um, experts in various areas. Uh, for example, I worked with a Harvard psychologist in California who was uh, taught me meditation and he was a real expert. So one of the things I would say that I was drawn to were people who were originals in thinking about certain areas. Mm. Uh, not necessarily people who had studied with them, but the people who had developed the systems themselves. And uh, I must say, I always felt a sense of acute excitement when I was able to spend some time with these people, in particular if they seemed to be truly expert and have, have, uh, have original thoughts about 
how, how things should be done and develop systems to make to make that possible. Um, so there would be a, a number of people that I would have studied with in that category, uh, but none of them particularly jump out as mentors or people that I would have attached myself to over a longer period. It's one of the things that my wife sometimes mentions to me that uh, I tend to be so interested in so many topics that um, it becomes um, you know, the possibility of a jack-of-all-trades. Uh, but I remember one psychologist that I was working with at the time uh, when I said I was a jack-of-all-trades he said to me, how do you not know that you're a master of many? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I always thought of that and I said, well, yeah, that could be the case. And, you know, the fact that uh, I have a very wide range of interests in these areas doesn't mean that I necessarily have only a superficial knowledge of them. Of but certainly that, that uh, staying with something over a longer period of time has decided benefits as well. Yeah. Cool. So when you went to university, studied psychology, was university life uh, that big kind of changing or a massive change for you based on, you know, what your expectations were? Yeah, I mean, when I was going to university, it was the, it was really a period of, of, of the hippie period and the, and the kind of rebellion against authority. And uh, I found that all of that very, very stimulating. And I, I must say, I was completely uh, fascinated by mm. the whole hippie movement and the, and the and the types of things that they were doing, which seemed to be unorthodox, and of course I loved anything that was un- unorthodox sure. and, and new and different. And um, the my greatest wish was at that stage is to to be living in San Francisco where all of this stuff was happening. Mm-hmm. And it was to be some years later when I was eventually able to um, to go to uh, California and to personal development uh, areas, uh, for example, Esalen Institute and Big Sur where. I would have spent, I would have gone uh, maybe 10 to 15 years uh, on the trot, right. uh, experimenting with uh, all sorts of different modalities, therapy modalities and physical modalities, things like Feldenkrais, Alexander Technique, uh, Traeger Technique, postural stuff. Mm. Um, and I was close enough there to what I would call the epicenter of, of personal development that, that I... I I was completely delighted with that. Mm. Now, um, I probably wasn't happy that I missed the worst excesses of the of the San Francisco experience at the time, but I felt as if I did eventually was able to capture most of the, the good quality thinking that, that developed at that time in terms of personal development and transpersonal psychology of those areas. Okay. Maybe we come back to some of them and dig into it a little bit uh, in, in, a, in a few minutes. Um, so, so once you came out of university, then what was your kind of first job if you will if you want to call it that yeah interestingly enough my first job was teaching 40 45 year old children in uh, St. Joseph's Primary School in the Craigan and Derry okay. at the height of the troubles wow. um, where there were bullet holes above the principal's desk and the children had to dive for cover Jeez. as firefights developed between the British Army and the and the IRA in the Craigan and the Bogside and that was um a very strange, strange time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I found that this is only a temporary job because I wasn't trained as a national teacher. Yeah. And I found the children absolutely wonderful and uh, realised that you needed quite a structured approach to very young children in order to 
make the, the school day work for them. Mm. Um, I subsequently moved on to 11 plus class and I found those easier to work with because uh, at least they would sit still for a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, that, that was really my first job and then subsequently I became a civil servant. I moved into um, I moved into the Department of Defence and subsequently was a, was a um, diplomat in Brussels with the uh, Department of Foreign Affairs uh, in the Irish Public Permanent Representation there. Uh, and my last job in the civil service, I was the in charge of training for the revenue commissioners. Okay. Um, yeah. In any of those roles, and I think it's topical at the moment in primary schools, they're trying to bring in some mindfulness practices mm. and meditative type mm. uh, skills to help with the, the kids. Mm. Was there, did you try any techniques or some of those uh, yoga insights in in any of you know in that first couple of years teaching or even in in any of the civil service jobs given that it was your passion how did you try or did you try any of that no i i would have to say that during that period i that that wasn't something i used the the yoga as a personal practice okay uh to um decompress after the the, the stresses of dealing with those um schoolroom situations so it was very much a personal practice at that stage okay. Um, with the children, I, I, I think that, you know, one of the strands that I would draw on now as a, an executive coach is drawing. Um, I find that, um, some sort of a creative expression of, uh, what, what, what uh, an issue might be about can give you, uh, a deeper understanding than just verbalizing it. Uh, so t- sometimes, uh, with the children, asking them to draw certain scenes, um, and what was interesting was what would come out in those particular scenes, things that would be completely unexpected. For mm. example, the, the violent atmosphere that they, that they were growing up in. Mm. Uh, b- biblical scenes like the return of the prodigal son would have a son and a, and a father greeting him, but there would also be uh, guns and <laughs> various other armored vehicles in the background as well. So one of the things that taught me about was that... Um, you can capture a lot more through right-brained creative techniques such as such as such as, um, such as drawing, and this is something that I would use in the in the development work that I do with people, uh, possibly more in the classroom based than in the uh, executive coaching space. But um, I found that if you ask people simply to draw themselves in their job, and uh, let's say there are twenty people in the room, and they put those on a piece of flip chart paper up around the room. Uh, just by walking around and looking at those pictures, it is relatively easy to tell who is happy in their work and who isn't. And um, that's not from a literal interpretation of what they've actually drawn, but more the impression that it gives. Uh, so it's one of the themes that I would have as an executive coach and indeed in a, as a as a, de- a developer of, of human potential is that creativity... Uh, that that evocation of the the right side of the brain, mm. that 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 integration of the subconscious mind, uh, enormously enhances uh, human capability. Uh, up to now, we have been limited in some ways in our ability to access that. But I think that we're beginning to understand that. Uh, hypnotherapists, for example, are people who have understood that for some period of time, and I think people are now beginning to realise that there's a there's a huge extra dimension available there. Mm. Excellent. So maybe let's start talking a bit more about, about your coaching career. So you've you had your first few jobs and then you 
started to more be morphed or well, yeah, that. yeah. I mean, the the, the 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 transition was that I I, st- I studied uh, during my time in the uh, in the civil service with mm-hmm. the with, with the uh, Trinity College Dublin and the Irish Management Institute and. Uh, subsequent to that, I was offered a job on the faculty of, of the Irish Management Institute, and uh, and I took it. And the reason I took it was because that I was absolutely clear that my um, strong vocational interest lay in developing people. Uh, I was getting some of that where I was the training manager in the revenue commissioners, but it seemed my tra- tra- career trajectory would be more into human resource management. Uh, and the part of that that I didn't like uh, w- was just implementing the rule book, if you like. Whereas I like to be on the mm-hmm. on the age of of, of development. Mm-hmm. So when I was offered that opportunity, I I took it, and more or less that has been the the the, the, the my occupation since then, either as a teacher or as a as a consultant or or as an individual ex- executive coach. Yeah. Okay. And how have you seen that develop over the last number of years? Like coaching is. Very popular now. Oh yeah, there's been a huge. I mean, I did have the um, the honour of introducing coaching into the IMI, and um, it was um, one of the very first diplomas that that we had, uh, postgraduate diplomas. And uh, from that first early start, the um, the popularity has just grown increasingly, and simultaneously, the mm, the business world has become more and more interested in it as a targeted method of 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 development. Uh, that focuses exactly on the executive. Of course, if one is in a, an MBA class or a, another uh, form of postgraduate education, there are a number of other people there as well. And so the, the learning has to be a, a little bit gen- generalized in a coaching session. The coaching sessions are targeted exactly at the issues and, and um, that can be very, very valuable. It's not to underestimate being been in a in a group in a community learning community as well has its own value, uh, but I think that uh, as a in terms of value for money and return on an investment, uh, it would seem to me that companies are increasingly realizing that this is a very high quality investment uh, because they see the difference in the individuals when they return from the coaching and the uh, results are pretty much. Um, uh, maybe not instantaneous, mm. but pre- pretty quickly developed very quickly. Yeah, you yeah. can see that. You can see the difference straight away. Yeah. So as you've gone through your coaching journey, uh, you've seen a lot of, I suppose, an explosion in the the theories and the thought processes, and the, you know, from just doing mm. the course myself to so many different specific areas. Is there one or two specific areas or influencers? that you're really drawn to? Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent question. Uh, you can gather from what I've said already that I, I tend to be eclectic in, in my approach, in other words, that widespread and, and, and taking mm. uh, inspiration from all sorts of different areas. Uh, but one in particular I would have to mention is Neuro Linguistic Program, or mm. NLP as it's commonly known, yeah. uh, for the, at least over... 20 years now, I've been uh, studying and using NLP. Uh, I studied it first of all in Ireland, then in the UK, then in the United States, and uh, have been using it pretty much continuously since then. That has been enormously useful to me. 
uh, organizational behavior as a topic as well mm-hmm. has been also very useful because it gives you a lot of uh, background into in, into uh, where human behavior springs from and 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 uh, some of the reasons why people may do certain things uh, and it's very research based as well so it's good quality information uh, apart from that some of the psychometrics for example Myers-Briggs, emotional intelligence, these have been extremely useful as well. Um, maybe primarily because they, they, um, they teach us the value of diversity, which is one of those lessons that is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the individu- individually they bring out certain dimensions of um, personality or behavior that one mightn't think of normally but are immensely useful when you... Um, and you get some research on them and, and an instrument that, that, that measures them. Um, plus, they're very um, compatible with uh, executives' idea of metrics and measurement and yes. approaches of this kind who may be a little bit sceptical about, about um, coaching as a overly touchy-feely or uh, pink and frothy or whatever yeah. terminology people, pe- people use about it who may not know very much about it. Yeah. So yeah, the NLP certainly would would be one of those, and and uh, and uh, the psychometrics would be another mm. one. Yeah. And they're quite practical, like being exposed to NLP and a lot of the psychometrics yeah. testing even before I came to do the executive coaching. It's something that you can apply in the job as a manager or as a leader. Yeah. Any simple NLP techniques that might jump out that you say a manager or a leader or or somebody listening could say yeah. could actually put that into practice. Yeah. Yeah, I think that one of the techniques that I find as a coach, whether a, a manager would be willing to to uh, work with somebody on this, but is a technique called anchoring. And anchoring is a very simple idea that if you're able to do something really well in a set of circumstances, and that could be at home with friends or in the sports field or in certain, you know, with with, with if certain conditions are present the idea that then you have the capability of doing it and then it's a question of accessing that capability. So what a simple NLP technique would be to put you back into that situation and to be as attentive as possible through your sensory experience, in other words, hearing what you hear, feeling what you feel, so that that experience becomes very, very vivid. Mm. And at its moments of greatest vividness, when it's really intense, then firing off what they technically call an anchor, mm. maybe saying a word like just do it or great or maybe yeah. clenching your uh, fists in a, in, a, in a what we call a kinesthetic motion or um, mm, maybe just touching your elbow, something like that, or your yeah. thumb, uh, something of that nature is a trigger, if you like. And, and mm. if you practice that a few times, what will happen is that when you need that particular resource, you can fire what technically called fire the anchor or, yeah. or release the trigger, <coughs> bringing back the capability that is within your experience, uh, but at a particular moment may be difficult for you to access. NLP makes that accessible and, and very practical, very useful. Mm. And a lot of sports people will, will use this for taking penalties and yeah. important shots in tennis and uh a lot of them and salespeople are using it as yeah. well for I mean professionals are using these types of techniques and they they're using them because they are just eminently practical yeah, yeah. 
that I think the anchoring one tr- triggers something for me. I think I've heard it being used for people trying to give up smoking or mm. give up addictions and things mm. like that. So mm. I'm sure there's some people listening to this mm. that are trying to give up smoking. Mm. So maybe that's something that, that they could absolutely mm. try and do. Mm. Uh, what I found on this course is some of the NLP techniques that are so practical, even just looking at the body language of somebody mm. else from a rapport mm. perspective. Mm. I think that's very easy to, mm. to read very quickly mm. and then maybe try and match that mm. other person and mirror them so that the, mm. So that you're actually having a better chance of building yeah. a connection with them. Those mm-hmm. sort of things. Are yeah, and some of this stuff, pacing, uh, leading, matching, mirroring, um, which uh, simply means that you are conscious of the body language of the other person and make yourself somewhat similar to them uh, because the research shows that people like people who do that. Yeah. Uh, they don't know what they're doing but they know that they like them a little bit better than someone who doesn't do that and uh, don't underestimate the value of somebody liking you Uh, it's very powerful and um, and rapport simply means that you make people comfortable and if people are comfortable they're going to uh, be more amenable to whatever you're asking them to do they will try to uh, work with you as best they can uh, and they will probably listen to you more more carefully so a lot of really good things happen these are things that have been observed that animals for example who are not reflecting on any of these things just do very naturally and Mm. one of the things we forget is that we do come from the animal kingdom and a lot of these things are still in our repertoire if if you like even though we have these higher level functions Mm. Um, but certainly the 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 research has been done pretty extensively on this and the matching and mirroring uh, as, long, as long as it's done with some skill, uh, I would issue a health warning there that people who do this in a ham-fisted way could be doing more damage than good, sure. good because certainly people don't want to feel as if they're manipulated yeah. and the purpose of this is not Absolutely. manipulation. It is really to be uh, cognizant of ways that people can be made comfortable mm. in a conversation or in a, in a sales situation, for example. Excellent. So there's some really good tips. One other topic around the coaching that I'd like to touch on before we get into some of the just rapid fire questions and you can head home then, Andrew, I don't want to drag your day out any longer. Um, when I got into the classroom environment and you presented about coaching, I was fascinated and delighted to see that mindfulness and meditation is very much at the core of a lot of that and being in the, the present moment. Mm. And I know I've heard you talk a little bit about mindfulness would you like to just give a, I guess, an interpretation or your perspective of the benefits of mindfulness mm. in daily life, not only in coaching and mm. maybe some of the, the teachers and experiences mm. you've had on that? Mm. It's very fascinating. Yeah, uh, I, I was uh, interested in mindfulness for quite a long time. And my first introduction was when I was <coughs> initiated into tr- transcendental meditation back in the 70s. TM, it was called. Uh, and that was the famous Guru Maharaj. He brought that in the Beatles, and they were very interested at the John Lennon and people like that. Right. Uh, the Guru Maharaj was brought into Harvard, Harvard to uh, to uh, demonstrate what he could do, and he astounded the doctors there in, in Harvard Medical School with his capability of changing his physiology by uh, his mental powers of of focusing. Mm-hmm. So. This has now been taken up by uh, a lot of university leading teaching medical universities around the world and the realization is that uh, an enormous amount of change can be 
<clears throat> brought about in the human mind and body by a mindfulness practice. For example, there's mindfulness-based uh, stress reduction and mindfulness-based pain reduction. So mm. two things, the stress management is an issue for the Western world. The the uh, the cost is in in the billions, and yeah. it's enormous uh, impact on on people's health and and and, and well being, and uh, the ability to focus then on the positive side, uh, which is what mindfulness basically is a, sing, a single point of focus, and training the brain to maintain a single point of focus for a, a considerable period of time. Um, upwards of um, let's say 20 25 minutes what happens when that happens is that the the um, the mind like the body trains the part of the brain the, the muscle if you like in the brain that focuses that trains it to 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 be better able to maintain that mm. now for coaching it's obvious because if you're a coach you need to have the single point of focus as the person that you're coaching with yeah. and if you have that you pick up all of the the dimensions of what that person is talking about, and the the, the careful with the carefulness of your listening. Yeah. In terms of uh, focus for the ordinary executive, it's absolutely obvious. If you have a major report to do, a major strategy to write, mm. a major plan to construct, you need the ability to keep your mind on it for a sustained period of time. Mm. Now, unfortunately, there are many countervailing uh, uh, dimensions to this. For example, the fact that multimedia, um, um, mobile phones. There are so many distractors now that the uh, people in, in this area are becoming concerned that people's ability to hold a, mm. a, a, a constant focus is, is being uh, severely uh, l- limited by, by, by that. But the, the, the countermeasure is meditation. The, the science on this is emerging all, all of the time mm. from the Harvard Medical School um Right around the world, that the uh, the the impact of meditation is only. By the way, it's only six weeks. You only need six weeks. Of course, you have to continue it after yeah, six yeah. weeks. But to see an improvement, a okay. considerable improvement uh, in six weeks of meditation, uh, the, uh, the the brain starts changing. Literally, the structure of the brain changes. The focusing part strengthens, and the reactive part—the part that causes you to overreact, to be emotional, to be overly emotional, uh, not to not to be stable—that part downregulates and literally shrinks. Mm. So the the brains of meditators are different from the brains of non-meditators. Right. And a lot of the very wise executives and some of the very best companies in the world are starting to realize that this is a critical ingredient for mm. executive success and uh, it would surprise you the number of people, uh, eminent people who are now incorporating some element of mindfulness uh, into your into a daily practice. How much you should do? Well, they're still, they're still studying that. They literally do not know. Right. Um, the, the classic period of meditation was something around 20 minutes twice a day right. uh, a lot of people don't have time for that but the evidence is that a little is a way better than nothing in the same way as that a little ex- the difference between a little exercise and no exercise is enormous the benefit then of doing more and more exercise you know it's it's debatable but that start moving and start practicing some form of mind- mindfulness you'll find that uh, the results are pretty quick six to eight weeks and quite profound.
a wonderful investment of your time. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I've we've tried to do that at, at work, um, and we're we're doing a, a daily morning practice of fifteen minutes, mm. and try to build it up from from five to ten to fifteen. I've been doing it over a year. I think the the key learning for me is not to expect to get to an enlightened state after even a year. It's only really scratching yeah. the surface. I think, yeah. and I think people need to have yeah. resilience with it and yeah. commit to doing it for a period of time. Yeah, giving up. So well, long. you know, it's like going into the gym and and doing a few exercises for for ten minutes. You you're not going to turn into um, um, a Charles Atlas type of figure in in <laughs> in, in, in that time. Um, but if you consistently practice that over a period of six months to a year, your body will definitely change. Yeah. And uh, if you need support in doing that, you just need to read read the, what the what the what the research is saying. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, talking about enlightenment, the problem about enlightenment is that this has kind of ideas of sort of exotic cults or religions or yeah. something like that. And really what is is the, the differences are, are, are subtle. Uh, the differences of, of not being as um, as, uh, as as reactive and noticing that not as quick to 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 get annoyed or to have negative emotions yeah. or whatever. These are subtle things that don't uh, you know that that, that that don't necessarily arrive at the big bang. But over a period of time, usually what happens is people find that people that others uh, in their life start to give them feedback. Yeah. is that you seem to have changed. You've calmed down. Mm. You've um, and you will notice yourself that your ability to focus on something is just that your your um, ability to maintain that is yeah. de- definitely increased and strengthened. Yeah, I've noticed uh, six months ago I got feedback from an aunt of mine that she noticed a slight change, which was very interesting. Uh, I don't even know if I had given them much information about what mm. he was doing. And even now, from some instances of work-related, personal-related stuff that would have been coming at me a year ago, although it's very hard to put yourself back a year ago and know how you reacted. I sense, I feel, it's almost like, sometimes I feel, I wouldn't say guilty is the word, but strange that I'm not reacting to something that I might have had before, and that's a good yeah. awareness, but it's, that's Any, a positive. Anytime that we have a change of behaviour, there will always be a feeling that there's something different or, or perhaps could I give you an example I was doing a coaching session yesterday morning mm. with a person from South Africa actually it was and um, I did one and a half hour coaching and when I went outside after the coaching I I expected myself to be tired mm. I, I literally looked for the tiredness and I couldn't find it <laughs> because I realized that I wasn't tired that in fact it felt as if not more energized after the coaching session than I did before it. The reason for that is when you have a single point of focus, either in coaching or washing the dishes or doing anything, when you have that single point of focus, the monkey brain, the the, the brain that's racing all the time, that's trying to cover a hundred things at the same time, Mm. necessarily calms down. And then our whole system calms down. And then unexpectedly, we realize, oh my goodness, I feel quite well now. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how the benefits arrive unexpectedly. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes liken it to a game of golf when you're out in the open and it's a quiet day in the golf course and you're just trying to play each shot very well. That It's a form of mindfulness as well because mm-hmm. you're okay, not exactly a single point of focus, but you're focused on hitting the ball in a particular way. And sometimes after you know, a couple of hours of this, you realize that you feel 
very fine, very very well, and that's because that you have still the 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 the, the, the unquiet mind, and um, then the your body goes into regeneration or anabolic mode. Yeah. All the chemicals in your body change, and the um, things like um, serotonin and various other chemicals start to increase. So it, it's it's all good. Yeah, yeah. it's putting your single focus on one thing for a period that's, of time. That, that's what mindfulness is. John Kabat-Zinn's definition, being, I think. Is it's being time. present one thing at a time. Mindful walking, yeah. mindful gardening, mindful... It doesn't matter whatever the activity is. Yeah. And um, the um, the Eastern traditions were focusing on a mantra, which is a, a sacred word or syllable. Mm-hmm. Um, Harvard Medical School mindfulness just say the word one over and over again one 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 it's a single point of focus uh, there are many many ways to achieve this yeah um, i was trained in tibetan meditation which is the classic tibetan how the t- classically the tibetan monks do their meditation mm. and the entry point to that is a focus on the breathing yeah yeah yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're up near 40 minutes, Andrew. Time flies, obviously, when we're having lots of fun. I'm having fun anyway. <laughs> and just at your point there, I think after a, a day's coaching or a class today, doing this has kind of really focused me. So I feel energized already mm. after it, ready for my day's work this evening. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to just go through some kind of quick fire questions, get your perspective. And this is somewhere sure. the rich learning for people can come out of as well. I know you're very into fitness and exercise. Mm-hmm. What, what would your how, how do you work life balance, or how do you balance work and life? Mm-hmm. Well, I think increasingly, uh, as I get a little older, the uh, the exercise becomes uh, absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. Um, I would um, work it two ways. One, I have a daily practice. I try to do something every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I practice Pilates. Uh, twice a week, I do Bikram yoga or other other yoga, Ashtanga yoga, uh, a couple of times a week, and uh, I do some resistance training four to five times a week. Right. Yeah, I previously used to run uh, a lot, uh, marathon running and yeah. triathlon, etc. Uh, but I, I I I certainly believe strongly that you don't need to do ultra endurance events it doesn't have to be a huge mileage yeah. and the, the, if you're running the research I would say at the moment is saying something around 15 miles a week mm. which would be three or f- four short-ish runs yeah. a week would w- 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 be absolutely fine uh, the, the, the benefits are, are, are enormous I, I call exercise the silver bullet it really is so beneficial mm. in so many aspects that it is like a silver bullet, that magic, a magic bullet. Yeah. So I would counsel anybody who is not and a good fast walking, you know, a brisk pace where you're uh, pushing yourself a little bit, but not unduly, is a perfectly fine form of exercise as well. And I do, I do that that as well. Um, then what I do is I I, I I try to put more intensive blocks of exercise in, in my particular. I do two forms. I don't know whether sailing is a way of exercise. It's certainly a way of being in a natural environment. Yeah. So there's a huge amount of evidence that being in a natural environment is very, very positive for your mental health. It has an enormous amount of advantages as well, okay. including stopping what is something called rumination, which is a continuous looping and negative thinking. Mm. Mm. Being in nature tends to automatically stop that. 
okay. mechanisms are not quite clear, but this research shows that. Uh, and then I, I ski a lot. Right. So uh, I would spend three to four weeks in, in the Alps skiing um, where you have to have a complete focus on what you're doing or you'll fall. Yeah. <laughs> simply. Um, but also, of course, in, it, the, the environment is absolutely pristine. The, the air is absolutely fresh, and the and the um, and the, um, the, the, the the scenery is, is spectacular. Yeah, yeah. So certainly for me, that's as as I've been able to afford these a bit more as my children have grown up. Yeah. Now I can um, I can do I can do that, and uh, that that gives me great joy. And it, it certainly means that when you have that quality renewal time mm. that you come back to whatever your passion is and your occupation full of enthusiasm new ideas creativity yeah. and totally avoids the possibility which exists in any people facing business of being burnt out and sure. just getting a little fed up with yet yeah. another coaching session oh i have to do this but yeah, yeah, yeah. that doesn't arrive because each day you're putting something in and then each each a um, few weeks there's something more intensive uh, mm. and for me that works incredibly well so it's kind of going back to even having that nine box grid or one of those tools where we can compartmentalize lots of different parts of your life and not having just yeah. two or three and yeah good i mean it's about yeah the balance field and where you have a, obviously cultivating relationships spending time with yeah. family uh developing yourself there are a lot you know earning enough money to to survive sure. and thrive uh uh, following your passions, these are all you, you, you know. You could describe as aspects of your of a person's life, and a good coach will holistically have a look at those things. Uh, as executive coaches, our primary focus on uh, making the executive successful, uh, but the executive is going to be a function of uh, their life outside uh, mm-hmm. as well. So we can't totally ig- ignore that aspect as well. Yeah. Lots of good habits. Mm. Any bad habits? Um, what would be a bad habit? I'm just trying to or think. one that now. you want to change, maybe? Yeah. Um, my worst habit was always w- working too hard. And I think that I have changed that. Although I still would have a tendency... Even now to work on a Sunday, sometimes from eight o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night. Good. You might say, how does that, how is that compatible with all the things? But let's say there are days when I can't do the things that I would normally do. Mm. And, um, I, 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 I still believe that the, that is, I have further work to do about, uh, not overtaxing or over, over, over overworking myself. Mm. Um, I genuinely find it difficult to think about things that I do now that, that are not, um, I, I rather actually think more about things that I, I'm still neglecting, which is, um, uh, writing. And, uh, it's something that I, you know, I, I have a very strong realization that I, I, sh- I should write more and I take great joy in writing, but I don't give myself the time to do it or the space to do it. Okay. Yeah. Something to, yeah, something, something to a 21 day challenge, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, There's no point in pretending to be other than who you are. Very good. 
nothing more to say on that one. <laughs> <laughs> when you think of success, is there any one that jumps out or is there anything that describes success for you? Yeah, I mean, there are various instances where let's say I would have achieved things that, that, that I thought were... One of the things I'm particularly proud of is I represented Ireland in an international law competition in The Hague. Wow. And uh, we were given a very complicated problem involving jumbo jets crashing into nuclear plants and causing all wow. sorts of damage. And I went into the bookstore in, 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 in um, Nassau Street, Wild and Green, and I bought a textbook on it public international law and I wrote up uh, <coughs> 20 pages of, of legal analysis of the problem and I went to the World Court in The Hague um, uh, which is um, a moot court in other words it wasn't a, a, actually an actual court but a pretend court everything else was the same and I stood up in front of that um, that uh, the, the, the judges there and argued the case without any notes for half an hour and I was I was really, really proud. We did quite well as uh, uh, out of that as well. So, yeah, that that was certainly a, a big success or a, something that, that I was proud of. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, interesting. Sleep is a question I'd like to ask. Yeah. What's your sleep patterns, or how, how yeah. where does sleep fit into the now, scale? Yeah, that 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 is the most interesting topic and 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 of the greatest importance. Uh, the research on sleep is becoming more and more insistent that we need a certain amount of sleep. Uh, that figure is pretty well understood mm. um, as being between seven and eight hours a night. They also realize that high-level high athletes need even more sleep, possibly even up to nine hours sleep a night yeah. uh, because of the demands on their bodies. Uh, my personal sleep is, has always been excellent, so no matter how busy I am, uh, I have been able to sleep very well, to go to sleep immediately and to uh, not to wake up too er early in the morning. Um, would coffee, would you have to stop drinking coffee at a certain point or would that have any impact on your sleep at all? No? For most people, the answer to that is yes. For, yeah. for me, the answer is no. Um, that uh, I, I could drink a double espresso coffee and go straight to sleep after it without, without any trouble at all. There is a training effect with caffeine as well. But for people who have any sleep uh, difficulties, I would advise strongly not to drink caffeine. It blocks a particular receptor in the body, mm. and uh, which is uh, to do with sleep adenosine, it's called. Um, uh, but sufficient sleep is critically important uh, for stress management, for weight management, uh, for uh, for good quality thinking, clear thinking, uh, right across the board. Uh, the research in that is is overwhelming. Uh, to say that uh, the old idea of trying to find a way to 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 sleep less and get more done is um, you're on a hiding to nothing. That's total diminishing returns, and sleep deprivation in terms of decision making. Uh, less than five hours sleep is the same as being drunk. Wow. Uh, so you put people into a laboratory with less than five hours sleep, their ability to make good quality decisions is severely compromised. Mm. Yeah. 
Is there any studies today around sleep that you can uh, you can accumulate or bank hours? So if no, you no, no, that well, well, sorry, the 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 evidence is no. Okay, you can't. I've heard people say that recently. It was no. just something I wasn't aware of. No, was sure or not. Okay, no, I would I would, I would dispute that. I, I would say that um, the what, what the body loves is is regularity, mm. and that getting up at roughly the same time at the weekends is a good idea. And the idea of a, of sleeping in, especially, okay, we can manage one hour or something like that, but sleeping in two to three extra hours uh, is the same, has the same effect on your body as jet lag. It disturbs something called the circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your body is finely, finely tuned, uh, reacting to light, um, producing melatonin uh, to 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 uh, induce sleep, and this is a uh, this but the body loves the regularity of that. As soon as you disrupt that, it it's it gets stressed trying to redress the balance, and that stress does not help the the body. Uh, for anybody who is a top level athlete, who's a teacher, who's uh, who needs their faculties intact, I would say uh, once you drop below six hours sleep. You are starting to run in, 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 into trouble. I mean, you can get away with it yeah, for one yeah, night, yeah. Uh, and of course, one night is not going to kill anybody. But less than six hours sleep every, every night will eventually show up somewhere mm. uh, and will cause damage. Did they say Obama had a four-hour night sleep? That's all he ever slept. Yeah. Well, there may well be exceptional in, kind of, in, yeah, individuals, uh, and there may well be people who have insomnia uh, who have to who have to live with these things. Uh, and who knows how, how long somebody actually sleeps and some of this yeah, yeah. Uh, could be propaganda Fake as news. well. That, yeah. That's out a lot yeah. Lately, but the, the science is, is absolutely clear about cool. this. For the general population, uh, getting regular sleep at regular times is highly beneficial for uh, health and well-being. Okay. So I'm going to end up with three kind of small questions. One, if you could recommend a book for somebody to listen to this, to, to read, that would improve them in some way, shape or form. Is there anything that anyone that jumps into my head? Yeah, my top rep- recommendation is the relaxation response by Her- Dr. Herbert Benson of Harvard. Very good. Uh, I think it's been reissued in the last couple of years as well, but uh, it's, a, it's an old book, but a very f- fine book on the relaxation response and the, and the power of relaxation. Yeah. Cool. Somebody that would might be interested in listening to uh, some meditation online. Is there any you know, teachers or meditation recordings that you would ever recommend? Yeah, yeah. Headspace is the one that I recommend. Uh, yeah, it's the leading uh, app for um, relaxation, and uh, there's a free trial. And if you like it, which a lot of people do, it's a small subscription, so you have continuous uh, downstream. Um, um, downloaded um, meditations uh, and a lot of people find those uh, very good the the guy who owns it is uh, an Buddhist Buddhist monk and yeah Yeah, yeah. and uh, so yeah that's the one that I I recommend and there may well and are many others but I haven't experimented with them that one I have last one Uh, any documentary or movie jumps out that you're you really like that would be something might be of interest for people to watch. Well, uh, the, the the movie with um, with Matt Matt Damon and um, and Robin Williams. Uh, if, if you remember the um, Dead Poet Society. Oh no, sorry, that no, was that was no, one, no, uh, not, not Dead Poet Society. Good Will Hunting. Good Good Will Hunting. Yeah, yeah. 
I think Good Will Hunting, anybody who's interested in, it was about counselling, but anybody who's interested in coaching, I think that, that is a beautiful illustration of how the, um, the coaching stroke counselling can bring somebody into the world in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, a better way. Because if you remember the character there, uh, Matt, Matt Damon was a, a genius level uh, maths guy, but was uh, you know, not living a very uh, you know, sensible life. And, and um, Robin Williams works with him as his counsellor and yeah. d- does a beautiful job of, of uh, making a relationship mm-hmm. with him. So I think that's a nice one to tune into if you yeah. uh, if you uh, are interested in in the whole area of coaching or counselling. Yeah, that's one of my favourite movies of all yeah. time. So yeah, it's, great it's a beautiful movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Andrew, we're done. Thanks so much. If if anyone wanted to get in touch or look up a bit about you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, well, I can be found on the IMI website. Uh, the um, the uh, or my my LinkedIn, my LinkedIn profile will have. Plenty of information about me as well. Absolutely. So, uh, Sandra McLaughlin with M C L A U G H L I N. Perfect. I'll include that in the in the write up mm. when we when we launch the episode. Um, so, look, thanks again so much. Uh, Fifty five minutes, really good takeaways, uh, and hope people will will tune in and enjoy. And we'll leave it there. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, Robert. Hey folks, so if you're at this point, it means you got to the end of one of my episodes. Thank you for listening. It's uh, it's great that you took the time to do so and I hope you got something out of it. So I'm just going to wrap it up with a shout out for feedback. As you know, the show is pretty new and it's just growing, evolving and your feedback is really important to me as I try and improve the show, make it 1% better. So please get in touch with feedback with questions that you may like me to put to guests in the future do you have a guest in mind that would be uh, really interesting to have on the show please let me know are there things that i could improve on are there things that are working and are there things that are not working even more so important i'd love to hear about it i'm very open to feedback so do please take a couple of minutes to get in touch how can you do this you can email me rob at robofthegreen.ie the comments section on the website go there that's www.robofthegreen.ie and there's a feedback page i'm on twitter the handle is at robofthegreen i'm on instagram robofthegreen facebook there's a page called robofthegreen and if you're in cork and see me out and about please feel free to give me feedback verbally ideally positive or constructive if it's of a violent or negative nature, either mental or physical, please refrain from from that. I don't think that would uh, would be good. But um, all the other stuff, I'm I'm very open to. And the show is on iTunes and Stitcher, so it'd be great if you subscribe there, so you'll constantly get updated episodes when I roll them out. So look, that's it. Thanks again for listening. I hope you have a great day and implement some of the learnings in your everyday lives. Thanks so much. Bye.